and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library, and my name is Jeff Milo. Joining me on the episode today is Thisby Nissen, author of three books, uh, co-author of another book, and writer of many, 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 many short stories. But currently, these days, uh, residing in rural Michigan and teaching MFA and PhD students at Western Michigan University, a lifelong writer. She's been the recipient of fellowships from the James Mishner Copernicus Society, the University of Iowa, Breadloaf Writers Conference, and uh, so, so many more um, accolades here to, to go through. But I really want to talk about the uh, three novels, three excellent novels that she has, Our Lady of the Prairie which came out about three years ago, Good People of New York, which was kind of her first big novel, and then Osprey Island. And she's also had, I should say, a a short story collection, sort of her breakout in the late 90s was Out of the Girl's Room and Into the Night. Thisby has grown up in New York, but she has spent a lot of her life in Iowa, but now she's been a Michigander for a long enough period of time to where she can probably hold up the hand like the mitten and you know point to where she lives and where she lives is actually kind of surrounded by cornfields and that's actually where we begin our conversation oddly enough but in the latest latest collection that she has put out in the springtime of this year through wayne state university press the title of that collection of short stories how other people make love in this collection She's chronicling the lives and choices of people questioning the heteronormative institution of marriage. Not best served by conventional mores, these characters who are young, old, gay, straight, Midwestern, and coastal, they're all finding their own paths, learning who they are and how they want to love and be loved, even when those paths must be blazed through the unknown. What it comes down to really is, why do we search for connection? And what is it like when we actually find the opportunity to to make this connections, this kind of connection with another human being that we have convinced ourselves that we have been longing for our entire lives. How does that happen and what happens afterward? You know, all of the complexities that come with that when you actually get to the wedding ceremony, all of the little tiny inner dramas that play out in the rehearsal or in the actual ceremony or in the aftermath. More than anything though, this is a collection of stories for anyone who has loved or has been loved. And that is that is where we start our chat with Thisby Nissen, who's been writing uh, amazing fiction for so long, but really always digging into the somewhat collateral emotional turmoil that results when we are in disputes with the people that we love, or if we're in arguments with the people that we love, or if we don't agree with some choices that someone we love has made and, and, and all of that. So we talk a lot about fiction. We talk a lot about love. We talk a lot about cornfields and we talk a lot about Iowa and Michigan. So uh, again, the title of the book is How Other People Make Love. This is my chat with Bisbee Nissen. Bisbee Nissen, welcome to the podcast. It's good to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start off with this general and hopefully not boring question, but you know, you've lived in New York, you've lived in Iowa, but now you're in Michigan. We're a Michigan podcast. How'd you get to Michigan? What do you think of Michigan? Uh, setting is also very important in, in everything that you write. So what do you think of your new real life setting? Not, not new, 
but you know what I mean. That is a fine question. And I, I, I can answer it pretty easily, if not succinctly, because I'm not really, um, uh, I'm never good at succinct, but. Um, Podcasts aren't for succinct. Uh, no. Excellent. <laughs> then, then I'll be right at home. I did grow up in New York City, but realized early on that I was not meant to be a city dweller. And it wrote my college essay as to why I wanted to go to Oberlin in the middle of Ohio, because if you walk far enough in any direction, you'd hit a cornfield. And that was really like why I wanted to go to Oberlin. That um, was attractive to you. <laughs> you know. And then, you know, I flitted around a little bit after college and then wound up in Iowa City for grad school and just fell in love with with Iowa and Iowa City and stayed for many years until I met the man who is now my husband, who at the time was living in New York. And we made a little go of it in upstate New York for a while. And then I got this tenure track job at Western Michigan University and with a like five week old baby in tow and um, 10 chickens on the back of a trailer and two cats in the car. We made our way across <laughs> half the country to Michigan and in the summer of 2010 and, and have been here ever since and very, very happily so. And the other thing that I should add though, is that while my parents were both diehard consummate New Yorkers who, you know, would say, you know, you raise a kid in the greatest city in the world. What does she do? Get the hell out, you know. <laughs> um, but my dad grew up in the UP and okay. in a tiny town called Iron Mountain. And we used to visit up there in the summers when I was really little before everybody moved down to Florida. And um and I loved it yeah. up there. I remember loving it. And I have been very much at home in the Midwest for in Ohio for college and then for many years in Iowa. And a great attraction for the job at Western for me was the chance to come back to the farmland where I somehow feel really at home. And I don't know if it's, you know, <laughs> genetic. I don't my my father just wanted art museums and French restaurants, you know, and, and I'm really happy with cornfields. So <laughs> go figure. Uh, transplants from busy city, uh, chickens on the back of a trailer, <laughs> uh, you know, new baby. That sounds like one of your stories already. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, it's it's not a far, you know, leap from <laughs> the stuff of life to Some the of stuff <laughs> of stories. I just, you know, keep collecting it all and sure. uh, spinning it in different ways. You've you've got novels out there in the world. You've got lots of writing out there in the world. I wanted to really specifically kind of dive into How Other People Make Love, which came out in the springtime and uh, six months ago. But as you know, as I know, time is meaningless. Uh, what is new anymore? Um, so it still feels new and recent to me. And I just wanted to get into that. And I know these stories were kind of collected from from all over. You didn't write these all necessarily in the last two years or three years. They're kind of collected. But let's talk about it. Before I read this book, uh, I had never really fully appreciated how dramatic and complex the whole ceremony of marriages could be uh let's talk about and you know weddings in general have have popped up in a lot of your books so let's just talk about your your fascination <laughs> with them you know i i have to say that i don't know that it's so much a fascination as the sort of inevitable 
aftermath of just having sort of lived through my 20s and 30s and had to go to so many weddings and you know like what do I do anywhere but sort of take notes in the program or you know on the back of napkins in my bag um is it the best place to harvest drama for your stories I mean, it's it's perfect in so many ways. And I talk about this all the time with my my students, but like I love I, I think I, I love what feel to me like petri dishes for fiction, like that idea of like you get all these these people together in a small confined space and they've got issues and they've got stuff to work out and and that's where the stuff happens you know that's where the pressure is there in those situations and i think weddings are are kind of inherently that you're bringing together all these different parts of your world it's super high stress it's you know that's i i don't know i'm not entirely sure weddings are really fun for anybody but they're really interesting they are it is it's so operatic in a way um the way that all that drama can play out and sometimes it is uh something that remains bottled up internal internally uh we might give the side eye to that one uncle we don't like or we might we have that bad blood with that one cousin and it's boiling inside so if you're the author you get that third person power of letting us know what everyone's thinking and it's just uh extra exciting (laughs) to be there and and possibly maddening as as well (laughs) and the and then the whole other thing is that um you know i I started off talking about michigan i started talking talking about setting but uh, this this book goes all over the country. There's there's just we're in Nebraska, we're in California, we're in Iowa, we're in New York. Um, Let's riff on setting. Well, in part, what you were saying earlier. I mean, these stories. My first book was a story collection. Um, it came out in 1999, and this is the first story collection I've published since then. So, in these aren't all the stories I've written in 20 years, but they are a good chunk of them. And so there are stories in in the collection that are 20 years old and there are newer ones too. But in, in that time, I mean, I think, let's see. No, I was in Iowa then, but I have spent chunks of time in a bunch of different places. I have, um, I have, put in a good bit of time in California. I I went out to California at some point during college, determined that I was going to go transfer to the University of California at Santa Cruz and, you know, become the like California hippie chick that I sort of felt (laughs) like I was always supposed to be. And it didn't really work because I got there and I was still a neurotic Jewish New Yorker who was sort of like, what are all these people just hanging around surfing for? Like, don't they have jobs? Don't they have anxiety? What, what, What are they all doing? I couldn't stand it for very long, but I, but I have, there i have a great deal of love for california and and i guess things there are pieces of of my life that have unfurled there and so i've got a love for some of those settings they feel like the backdrop of of a bunch of things in in my life yeah Um, 
And, you know, New York never ceases. You know, I'll be making peace with New York for as long as I'll be making peace with my parents, which is a lifetime. And, you know, that's that's a that kind of explains that to me. Um, And then, you know, bits around the Midwest. Sure. Talk to me about the Midwest and neuroses. Now, where I'm going to go with this is uh, because I, I think that you and these stories especially have really tapped into this uh, nuanced neuroses and um, kind of a vulnerability too that folks in the Midwest have. And, and I, I wanted to badly paraphrase a quote of from one story in here. And I believe the story is called um, Unity Brought Them Together. There's a character who is... Uh, I guess compartmentalizing everything and he is now relieved that he does not have to worry about sex and he is comparing that to having if you live in <laughs> if you live in Iowa you don't have to worry about skiing that's so specific and relatable and the the and you mentioned the word anxiety and I think that that is the pressure cooker of wedding ceremonies <laughs> gets the, all that anxiety out can you talk about capturing that <laughs> Um, yeah, I, you know, th- that's maybe where we get into the part where it's it's less about craft and more about just who I am and um, and the way that the world comes to me. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I part of what I need, I think, in the Midwest is or part of what I need as a human being and part of what I've found, I think, in the Midwest is um is a kind of quiet that I never had growing up. And um, and it is a quiet that enables me to process through the stuff I need to process through. And and maybe I'm someone who needs to process more than other people do, but like I, n- I never had the space for it in a city, you know, in, in some place where there was stuff going on all the time. And now I can't, like I go into Kalamazoo and I'm overstimulated now and it's, you know, I mean, we live in, you know, farmland, like, and so I think there's, <laughs> I have maybe in my time in the Midwest, um, gravitated toward those people like me who do um, take on, you know, a fair bit of anxiety in the world. And, and I spend my time with writers too, in the in the Midwest and wherever. And you know, we're not known for our our placid acceptance of the world as it is. Um, I don't. So I think I think there's part of you know me realizing like. Maybe everybody in in New York is is teeming with anxiety just from being in the place that they're in. But I think everywhere you go, there are people who are experiencing similar things and manifesting it in different ways and managing it in different ways. And um, I like those people. Yeah, I know. There's something about it. You know, they always say, oh, if you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Or if you're that whole coastal thing where you're you're they're just I don't know if they have tougher skins. But then we go over here to our cornfields and we hide and we we start bargaining and rationalizing and compartmentalizing all those. Well, I won't have to worry about skiing. I just love how you wove that together. You no, know, there's something in that, too, that like 
like for me, you know, I my my mother could never understand what I was doing here. Like she needed to know at any moment she could have the choice of anything in the world. Choice makes me really anxious. Like sure. I can't like it's too much. And I would really I am really happy knowing that if I want to eat pizza, I go to this place because that is where they have the pizza I like. And if I need, you know, to feel soothed by something like I go to this rock in this place, like it makes things a lot easier. So I I very much relate to the, the character like there is some when I lived in California. I just felt like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I wake up every morning dying to go mountain biking? Like, <laughs> what? why couldn't I be one of those people? And I never thought about that until I lived in California. And it was a really easy fix to leave California. And I no longer had to worry about what was wrong with me that I didn't want to go mountain biking every sunrise. So, <laughs> There's nothing know. wrong with either of us. <laughs> Nothing wrong. Um, Thank you. Let's go back to weddings and, and marriages uh, in general, because um, this this general theme of connection is is throughout throughout your fiction. And let's talk about connecting and how that is so intense and also stressful uh, to meet the love of your life, or it's maybe the connection to a family member. You're kind of digging into all of that. Guess what do you find enticing about that? What is fulfilling about exploring that? I feel more and more that it really is all I ever explore. Like I, I, I am really fascinated by people and the way we go about like connecting to other people or not connecting to other people or, you know, and I think there's something amazing that goes on when you find kindred souls certainly but then there's also something really fascinating that goes on when you are sort of forced into situations where you have to contend with people who are decidedly not kindred souls or who push all the wrong buttons in all the wrong places or or who fulfill the right things in the wrong ways or the wrong things in the right ways or you know i i always i always joke with (laughs) that i started writing fiction as a means to try to understand something about the world around me since it made absolutely no sense to me. And I sort of puzzling out, like, why do people do the things they do? What makes them like, why, why do people act the way they act? Why, why did these things happen? And, and I think that's, you know, that's human, human interaction and it never ceases to fascinate me. And that's sort of where I, I, I don't know. I guess that's where story feels sparked or something for me, like in those places of like, how did that happen? Like, how did those two people find each other? Or how did that, you know, particular union work itself out or what I'm that's that feels endlessly fascinating to me. Absolutely. Um, It got me thinking that since there's so much, so many stories in here where it, the crux of it uh, is lovers or family members uh, kind of butting up against each other. Uh, if, if you've engaged with young aspiring writers, students, and if you've taught fiction, doesn't that, isn't that what it all boils down to, Thisby? If we're writing fiction, then you better have two distinct people uh, pushing each other's buttons. That's, that's <laughs> what else are we going to write about? 
I feel like I just had this conversation with a with a student the other night and it doesn't even matter. Like, really, it doesn't even matter if you're writing, you know, sci fi or, you know, realms of the fantastic or whatever. It it is. It really is the same thing. I I I talk with students sometimes about um, I had a friend who was in an in acting school, a graduate acting program. And she talked about the exercise that actors do together where, you know, they'll be in a, in a class or something and you pick two people to go up on stage and each one gets something whispered to them, like a a motivation, like something they have to get the other person to do and they can't say it outright. And they, and someone says like, get, here's a scene, like you're at the grocery store or you're in line at the, you know, Meyer checkout or whatever. And they have to improv a scene and try to get in that, that little piece like they have to try to get this other person to do something without asking for it outright and what I say to my students is like if you could just if one person is supposed to get the other person to lend them five bucks and and the other way around it's like you have to get the person to offer you a lift home or something like if if you could just say, hey, could I borrow five bucks? And they'd be like, sure, then you don't need to see it. You know, like it's all like, hey, could you give me a lift home? Great, like scene dispatch. Like Bob gave Jane a lift home, that's it. Like line of exposition, you're done. Mm-hmm. And where the fiction is or where the scene is in is in the interaction of people who can't ask for what they need or can't ask that person for what they need that person to give them. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's all the ways we talk around the things we want or Absolutely. need or want to say or, and can't say. Absolutely. Um, that's where the stories are. Which begs the question after more than 20 years now as a writer of fiction, when, and if not now, if not yet, maybe soon, when have you started to feel like a psychoanalyst? Cause <laughs> always oh you know and i think so often i'm sitting with students talking and i'm like i am really not qualified to to be dispensing the advice i am dispensing right now but you know that's i don't know it kind of feels i mean it partially feels like part of the territory like Mm -hmm. i think it is honestly i think it is we're we're kind of joking but i think you know yeah yeah in some alternate you know, lifetime, you know, maybe that would have been, maybe I would have been a therapist because I really like hearing people tell the stories of their life. It probably wouldn't have been a very good one because I'd want to be taking notes on this. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to, as like, as a, as a writer of fiction and in these scenarios, you have to spend a lot of time in other people's heads. And that is under scenarios of intense, um, intense stress, uh, that you, that you, yeah. and, and sometimes you, you know, sometimes you don't always, uh, navigate these characters through to conclusive endings or happy endings, but then what is, you know, what is life? Another- endings are false. I, I have such a problem with, I mean, I, I definitely have a problem with endings because things don't end. They just keep going. <laughs> I, I was going to say that a lot of these stories have that ellipses energy to them it they are and elegantly so but yeah there isn't a and they rode off into the sunset and they were all happy situation <laughs> and there's not all that they, they don't have tragic endings either they're just a little 
you know, the the fence gate is still a little loose or the, the book isn't exactly closed, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, it often isn't like, you know, when is it really close? I think there's. I think there's a gesture. I mean, and maybe this is why so many people do feel frustrated reading short stories or feel like they don't understand them or they don't, you know, that that they don't satisfy in the same way a novel might. Um, and I think I think there has to be in, in in reading short stories, although I don't think my novels really conclude any more than my short stories do, but um, I think there has to be sort of an acceptance of like you, you just, you've been let in on a little portal into other people's worlds and other people's minds and other people's emotions. And, and that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And there might be a gesture toward not conclusion necessarily, but some, you know, the, there's, you don't just want to leave a cliffhanger in every, <laughs> and, um, how about, how about this? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's all middle and no beginning and end. It's all middle. Yeah. That makes me want to quote, um, a great short story by Margaret Atwood called happy endings. <laughs> where in which I'm going to terribly misquote it, but it, the, the, it's like permutations of all the ways you could tell John and Mary's story. And at the end of, of Margaret Atwood's story, she's saying, but you know, it's always the same John and Mary die, John and Mary die, John and Mary die. You know, that's, that's the, it's, it's what happens in the middle, but right. right. Makes it interesting. Right. And then I think that if for anyone who hasn't read this book, I think that there's a nice little sentence in, I mean, I don't want to spoil any of the stories, but I think there's a, there's a blurb somewhere, whether it's on the back of this book or elsewhere that I read that, that this book is these, these stories are for anyone who has loved or has been loved. And I think that it's worth talking about. The title is, I can interpret it. We're not, it's not referring to the physical act of love, how other people make love. I think that there's a lot of stories in here. I'm trying to remember your titles. Sometimes your titles are. <laughs> I are can lost. never remember my own titles. What, what's the story? There's I'll a, try to help you. There's a, the title of it. I'm trying. I'm going to try and get it. This be. Uh, <laughs> we will go to her, but she may not return to us. But she shall not return to us. I think I almost. Very got that. good. That's probably as good as I can do. A story about sisters, as well as you know, weddings and and what have you. And then the night went off like a gun in a car. There is a parental connection there. So this isn't just two people getting married. There, There is so much family in this book. And that is a whole other side of the love that is referred to in your title. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, there's the 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 title... The, the title of the collection was for a time the title of the first story that's in the collection, which is now titled Alone and Clapping, which made a lot more sense after many revisions. But I but I felt like the 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 line comes from that story or the the phrase how other people make love comes from that story. And it and it wound up feeling appropriate for the whole collection because it it is a sense of looking in on people's lives and seeing how how relationships work and those are all kinds of love and all kinds of relationships um 
So no, it is not like just the voyeuristic, you know, what's happening in, you know, the apartment across the way when the, when the right. no blinds are not drawn. Um, well, it's- <laughs> or, or the storybook Princess Bridey Love, where we have stars in our eyes. This is a situation where this is a human being, they share my blood. In the instance of the story, I am incredibly angry with this person but I also love them and I hold them at the same time. And that's what you captured. Here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, isn't, isn't that, I don't know. That feels like, like it, that feels like the story of it. And it's funny cause I, I don't have siblings. I'm, I'm an only child and um, my son is an only child. Um, and so I think there's something in, in a way about, familial relationships. I mean, I had a really complicated and dynamic relationship with my mother. Um, and she, she died a year ago. So this is my first book that she has not sort of seen come into the world. Um, and I will probably be writing about my mother until <laughs> I stop writing myself. Um, you know, regard whatever I try to write, it always turns out to be about my mother. Um, but I think like I, I, I have always been really fascinated by sibling relationships in in the sense that they are foreign to me. And so they hold that place of, wow, what would it feel like to be tied to this person, not by choice and not by, you know, um, proximity or not, you know, like what what would it mean to have to contend with with people in your family so i think when i when i'm writing about that it's often in that like i have no idea how this works and i really want to get inside and see if i can try and understand it easy easy answer it's complex and yeah I, so i've discerned you know? in my, my research <laughs> uh and so i just wanted to to wrap up with this question now our Lady of the Prairie, which was a very recent, recent-ish novel, is a bit of a love letter to Iowa. You lived mm-hmm. in Iowa. You had the good people in New York, uh, which partly New York gets a spotlight. Mm-hmm. Can we start to see Michigan get some of the spotlight in your stories? What happens? <laughs> Do you have the plans there? Well, it's interesting because I, with regard to place, I think that I am often writing to write myself back into a place or to evoke a place that it, that I am no longer in. Although I've been talking about this a lot recently and I don't know that it necessarily means like I have to leave Michigan in yeah, order to write about Michigan. I don't have any plans to, to leave. I'm very happy here. Um, but I think like it, it takes a while for the collected anecdotes of life to kind of to to make their way into fiction and so you know i've been in michigan now and it'll be going on 12 years and i'm collecting pieces you know and there are there are I, I have a feeling, you know, it might not be for 20 years until another story collection comes out where you might see the evidence of those Michigan stories. I've been collecting deer stories. Okay. Lots of stories about deer. Okay. Around, you know, there, there, so I have these collections going on the, that I 
think will necessarily reflect um, reflect my time in Michigan. Okay, great. Have you, uh, I can't resist, uh, since you've been here for a long enough period of time, have you ventured away from your inspirational cornfields and ever had an opportunity to uh, be able to tell someone where you live? Have you, have you raised? Because you know you can do that. I live here personally. I know it. You know, I don't know that I have listeners. Really I just held up my hand like a minute. Oh yeah, right. This Sorry. is audio. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. It's. You're right about here. I'm, there you are now. Yeah. So, well, I think I'm a little more central. A little maybe. <laughs> Isn't um, it fun? See. I I wrote a story that I that it in which it was actually written that that. I do an exercise with students where we we make ink blots like Rorschach ink blots mm-hmm. and we have to find 20 images in our ink blot and then you have to work those 20 images into a story and I wrote a story before we moved to Michigan started a story where one of the things in my ink blot I said was like the Michigan hand map and so it made its way into a story it's out there some uh, yeah. someday it's not published yet but um but someday that Michigan hand map will will be on the page somewhere well, uh, that is a perfect way to wrap up by saying this is part of the Made in Michigan writer series through Wayne State University Press, How Other People Make Love. And uh, the author that you've been listening to in this podcast is Thisby Nissen. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. And that was our chat with Thisby Nissen. The latest collection of short stories by this author is titled How Other People Make Love. It is out on Wayne State University Press. Glad to have Thisby as a Michigander now and uh, would highly recommend seeking out these stories or any of her previous novels. That will do it for our episode today. This is A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library Podcast. It is brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and the end of these episodes is by a local musician known as Zun Set. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you could go to ferndalefriends.org or you could like or follow or subscribe or leave a comment or tell a friend about it. Or if you are really digging this episode right now, share it to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.